Hello and welcome to Cameras or Whatever. I am your host, Tyler Stallman. And I'm Cameron Whitman. Hey Cameron. And this is the podcast for working photographers. And um, I'm going to say at the beginning of the show, instead of the end of this time, you can find me on Twitter at Stallman and Cameron can be found. Well, you can also find me on Twitter <laughs> as Camrocker. That's C-A-M-R-O-C-K-E-R. If you just hear us on the podcast, there's more to offer. We do stuff all over the place. And something I'm working on this week, this month, uh, recently, just in general, I'm working on getting my YouTube account back up. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So starting with the review of the G7X, that camera we talked about last week. Yeah. I recorded a video review, just need to edit it. That's excellent. I have a, actually have a, a good friend that I'm trying to get him to look at that because he's been using the G series forever. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I've seen some results. I don't know much about the camera, but I've seen some results that made me think, wow, this is pretty awesome. And the size is amazing. I think I still have the G1 in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was, it, that was a great camera at the time. Right. When I was using it, I was shooting on the smallest JPEG setting so that I could get more out of my 16 megabyte memory cards. <laughs> wow. so, so everything I have from that day is very low quality, but it's a really great camera to use. And I, I've always liked that series. Do you still have the pictures? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I've done a pretty good job of backing stuff up. That's cool. I think that you're one of the only people I know that that might have like the images from that far. Well, yeah, that's because I was starting uh, college then, which was um, multimedia. So not photography exactly, but they had cameras that we could borrow. So they mm -hmm. had the, the G1s and, and then eventually got the G2s. So all my first projects there were on it. And I, I did a pretty good job of managing those those files. Did you ever do a YouTube like you used to do videos, right? Like yeah. reviews for cameras. Yeah. And did you ever do one on any of those, the G series? Oh, no, I didn't go that far back. My first reviews were all around the, so I'm, I'm, I actually have my channel open. So I have like the 5D Mark II versus the 7D versus the T2i, which were all contemporaries at the time. So mm. the, the, that actually is at uh, over 50,000 views now. And I just passed 100,000 views on my video of how to photograph your art. Yeah, that's really useful. That makes sense, though. Well, I think it did a pretty good job on that. That was actually a paid job uh, that I did for Saatchi Online when I was okay. working on that with Bruce. Mm -hmm. So that was for the site to show their users how to do this. And um, I just also posted it to mine, and then it became successful, which is kind of cool. So I know who you're talking about when you say Bruce. Yeah, well, but... Bruce Livingston, who yeah. <laughs> founded iStock Photo and <laughs> Stocksy along with us and um, Saatchi and... A million other yeah, many other things project. work together on life, work together on jammed yeah. on paper thin walls and other things people don't remember. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Let's talk <laughs> about the battle that we all face, the yes. healthy or unhealthy obsession over gear. <laughs> uh, From yeah. the perspective of our wives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to start off with a counter argument to what everybody else on the internet seems to think that when you go into Ooh. gear review <laughs> forums, a lot of what you'll see is people being like, you know, the camera doesn't make the photographer and we shouldn't spend all our time getting obsessed over gear. We should spend more time shooting. And yes, those old tropes. Yeah. And people say that a lot. And you know what? That's probably good advice for some group of people that do just look at the gear and then they don't worry about the photography. Yeah. But you know what? If you're spending three or four days a week shooting as a job, mm -hmm. it's a different story. Like I am shooting enough that I need to worry about the gear. I think, yeah. I think like if I don't spend that time worrying about the gear, I can't do my job as well. And people that don't care about it or aren't, are uninterested in gear can find themselves at a disadvantage. Well, and, and to dig just a little bit further on, on that point, I think that because you shoot three or four days a week, you know, you're actually seeing the, uh, the flaws that are inherent in whatever it is that you have. So mm -hmm. you actually realize, okay, well, this is, this is something that I would love to be able to cure. This is the, the chink in my armor that, yeah. that disappoints me on a regular basis. And you don't really get to, to know what that is specifically unless you're shooting that much because, if you're just shooting occasionally, like you don't really know what your what your lens is doing. 
you know, you don't really see it enough to understand it. And I think that you just have to be very consistent. And I think that that's one of the things about being a gear head mm-hmm. is that, that I am conscious about and I worry about is it. like, well, what happens when I get to that point where I've bought too many lenses or, or things and, and I don't really know what that lens is capable of. Right. You're not comfortable with it. You don't know, you don't know how to predict what it's going to do. Right. And so like, how can I apply that to my professional use? And the answer is I cannot until I've actually figured that out. But um, I, I'm pretty good about separating my hobbyist from my professional. I think that there's something healthy in there <laughs> mixed in with the potentially unhealthy. Yeah, it, it's a mix. There's, there's times that I've lusted after things that are or turn out to be kind of useless. Mm-hmm. I think we've all been there. Oh yeah. But also to me, that's maybe more reason to pay attention to it and to be thoughtful about it. Because if you're not paying a lot of attention to what you're lusting after or what you're buying or what you're already using and, and really knowing it well, yeah, it's a lot easier to waste money. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's always very easy to waste money. Mm-hmm. And on camera gear, I think it's, it's, um, it's kind of a special easy. My, since I always like to bring in a way that Cinematographers are better than photographers. <laughs> Another example is that they, um, it's not uncommon to have a camera tech as a job on set. Mm-hmm. And it's especially important these days when the camera you're using may have been released six months ago and mm-hmm. the director and cinematographer might be working with it for the first time. You know, if you've uh, just upgraded the sensor in your red you're basically working with something different and uh, somebody that is, especially a director Mm -hmm. probably doesn't pay attention to all the tech and they don't Mm -hmm. really have to, they shouldn't, I don't think because it's more specialized in in film, but in um, still production, you're not going to have a crew and you need to be your own camera tech. And if you're not really in most cases, yeah. Yeah. And so if you're not really comfortable with that stuff, yeah. 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 I mean, you can just find yourself in a hole, you know, you can, um, you can not a good example maybe is, uh, having a clear understanding of the dynamic range of your sensor and like mm-hmm. knowing what limits you can push it to, because at this point I can walk outside and like look at a sky and look at some shadows and have a rough idea of if that sky is going to blow out or not. And that's Absolutely. really helpful to know if I need to bring in a reflector. Or even critical because if you're shooting events and weddings and stuff like that where you have to constantly think on your feet, you need to know where those boundaries are mm-hmm. and you need to be able to, to access them immediately. Yeah. You know, you can't be like fumbling over your settings while everything's happening. Totally. I, I was working with a really uh, successful and great photographer recently, but that was definitely not interested in gear. And watching him shoot, I could constantly, I was looking at the scene and thinking about all the technical reasons the shot could have been better. And it's not how he usually needs to shoot because um, he, it's, it's usually journalism for him and he was shooting a kind of a fashion editorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be so helpful to have somebody nearby saying, look, if you just if you tweaked your gear in this way, if you had this extra accessory, your photos could actually be much better. Right. And you only know that by spending a lot of time obsessing over it, I think. Yeah, definitely. There's way too many crutches out there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for photographers. And I think that there's two camps, right? Maybe there's a lot more than two, but I'm Probably. just going to go ahead and create an example. All right. So you have the the people who feel like they need a full toolbox like me, right? Like I have to have all of the options available to me so I can solve the problem to the perfection point as much as I'm capable of. Um, and then you have the people who have a camera with a lens. And um, sometimes, and, and this this really blows my mind because I see these people that have the, the one camera with the 50 millimeter lens and everything they shoot is amazing. And it's like consistent all the time because they're shooting that one thing. They know exactly what to expect from that, that camera and lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that I, I, I obviously, I think that that is a really great thing. 
you know, I, I really love that. But when, um, sometimes I see people try to go that route and then you see them try to do things. The camera or lens is not really made for, mm-hmm. you know, but that's the only one they have. So they're trying to make that happen. When you've got a hammer, all you see is nails. Yeah. And so like, you know, I don't know. I see all these, um, these instances where people are using like an X100 for everything. And, you know, when you get too close, then all of a sudden you get really weird distortion and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, or an and iPhone. Not, the, the iPhones yeah, have their totally. limits. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just any, any wide angle, really. If you're using it for everything, then you're really limiting yourself. Well, I kind of hoped you wouldn't agree with me so much <laughs> because oh, <no. laughs> uh, I think now I guess we have to play our own devil's advocates. But like, uh, but if uh, Kirk Maston was here. Mm-hmm. I know he would have something to say about it that, uh, or lots of people, there's so many people we both of us have talked to that, yeah, are like all about a 50, for example, mm-hmm. you just pick up a 50 and get to know it. And, you know, in the end, that is actually how I end up working just after all of the obsessing, obsessing, mm-hmm. I will still just take a 70 to 200 and a 50 in my bag. And that is almost always what I have either that or the I'll swap the 50 millimeter for the 40 millimeter. Yeah. Um, to save on uh, weight. And th- that's kind of been it for the last year. Those two things are what I have with me and I know why I'm going to use which one in which circumstance. Um, but before that I went through a lot of other lenses and I still spend time reading about other lenses and experimenting with them. Uh, lately we've been borrowing Anya's brother's, 100 to 400. Ooh. Which is pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, I'd used wow. it, I'd used it once before. I borrowed Bruce's once before at a concert, but then I was thinking about doing more fashion photography for it, like street style photography. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted is some people get just the most amazing, massive compression when yeah. you are at 400 millimeters and you're in a busy space, like there's a lot of stuff in the far background and the near foreground and a subject in between, and you're at 400 millimeters, it just compresses the whole world a lot. And you've got all these layers of bokeh and... Yeah, and swirly awesomeness. <laughs> and there's a lot of focus as well. Like the, the person, there's a lot of depth to the focal plane. So they're fo- in focus all the way through with a lot of blur back and forth. Yeah, and that's that's amazing. That's yeah. such a cool thing. It's a really great look. But I also, by spending some time playing with this lens, have started to learn when this is useful and when it's not. The lens is four point five to five point six. So for one thing, you need a well, lot that's of light. The whole, oh, so it's a variable. It okay. is, yeah. Right. And this is an expensive lens too. I don't know how much, but let me let me find out. Uh so does it have the uh, image stabilization? Yeah, it does. It's um, it's very similar to the seventy to two hundred. Yeah. Um, but it is well, according to B and H, it's only fourteen hundred. That seems like a deal. But that's from the version one. I think the version two must be more like two thousand. Yeah, version two so, is twenty four hundred. So that's the current iteration. But if you're going to shoot that, like if you're going to be on the street shooting that for an entire session or something, wouldn't you then? use a a monopod that's a good idea yeah (laughs) i uh, usually i don't bring one because of weight i don't know i just uh, i'm carrying this bag around so often well i I would argue that you should bring one because of weight (laughs) totally makes sense the the monopod that i have that's usable is a video monopod and has like the feet on the bottom and is very thick and um has a big head and I have a like a thinner, simpler Manfrotto one, but the clasps on it are damaged, and it can't uh-huh. support all the weight. It kind of like that's... starts collapsing, collapsing on itself. I actually actually have exactly the same thing. Oh well, it's it's a pretty cheap monopod. So yeah, uh, but other things I've learned about it. Okay, so yeah, you need a lot of light because of the aperture, mm-hmm. but you also need tons because you're at 400 millimeters. Like you yeah. should keep the shutter speed above 400. Fortunately, right. the image stabilization is really good. Like it works stronger than on the 72, 200 and obviously to compensate for the length. And mm-hmm. uh, honestly, it does a great job. I've, I'm really impressed. Like I can get sharp images pretty reliably at uh, 200, uh, 200th of a second. 
But in this in this case, I mean, what are you, are you shooting at? Like a minimum of ISO eight hundred. Um, on this, on this yeah, I mean, just so you have like, some no six forty. Yeah, it's close enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do, you need to crank it up a bit. But the other thing that you need is the right distances. You need mm-hmm. to back way the hell up. Like you can't focus closer than the I don't know a couple of meters. I think. Um, and to get any of that depth of field you're looking for, the subject has to has have a certain amount of distance from the background, and you need a certain amount of distance from them. And you know, so after shooting a few outfits with this, I have gladly gone back to the 7200, which isn't as exciting necessarily. Like you can't get that same crazy look as at 400, but it is much more practical. Mm-hmm. I can shoot in more environments and and get the shot more often uh, at 2.8, etc. So, right. Um, I don't know what that tangent was supposed to explain, but that, uh, it was supposed to explain that somebody like me is probably going to go and rent that, you know, 150 to 600 Sigma lens and see what it's all about. I think that I was just trying to get you excited about long lenses. Yeah, apparently don't do that. That's not, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to pay off my, my Maya seven. Oh God. I I don't have it. That's the thing. It's sitting in a store waiting for you. Is that the deal? Yeah. Yeah. Like a couch? Yes. <laughs> it sucks. So every time I, I go in, every time I take in some film, I, I drop like 50 or 100 bucks towards it. And so it's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm on this endless journey waiting to get this camera. So I imagine by the time it's in my hands, um, all the film will be discontinued and I'll be miserable. <laughs> I started thinking about the 5D Mark IV and uh, that I should start stuffing money under a pillow to for, for when that comes out to make sure I'm ready. Are you going to stay in that direction? Yeah. Well, okay. So this is part of the gear obsessing. So I mentioned last week that I'm really into that Sony A7R Mark II. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited, but I'm not optimistic. Mm-hmm. Sony menus still kind of suck. Mm-hmm. Um, Sony autofocus historically has not been as good. Yeah. I'm skeptical about third-party lenses on a on a Sony body and seeing that really focus as well as on Canon. But I'm paying close attention because there I have decided that there is inherent inaccuracy in the focusing systems of SLRs. And I, I don't remember how the terminology goes, but the 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 type of focus detection that is on the focusing sensor of an SLR is just not as accurate as the direct image. Oh God, I wish I knew what these words were. Somebody smarter <laughs> than me write in and, and tell me what I'm trying to say. But, <laughs> but the, the, the problem is like, it is not completely accurate and I need that salt in my life. I know people have been using autofocus lenses for a long time, but I can sit there with, we have two different Mark threes and I've calibrated these lenses and I've also used them uncalibrated either way. I can sit there and just refocus on the same thing take a couple shots, refocus, take a few, take a few, take a few. And in the end, they are not the same focus point. Like they are at slightly different distances. Um, Weird. Always. This is always the case. And for a long time, I thought it was my problem. And I've just decided and also kind of read that um, they are just not super accurate. The big advantage to the DSLR style of focus systems is that they can go really far, really fast. So you can change from three feet to 40 feet kind of instantly. It can jump. Yeah. Like super fast. Yeah. So that's part of why they're the standard, but um, their accuracy suffers as part of it. Okay. So because I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm actually just going to read out loud this section of this article just so I'm not as uninformed as I, well, as I am. And because I don't think you spent the time reading this article, did you? I didn't have a chance. All to. right. Well, let me, let me do you a favor. Um, okay. So do this is uh, an opinion piece on DP review. Uh, did Sony just do the impossible? And here's uh, from the focus accuracy section, which is the part that really makes me the most excited. Okay. Focus accuracy will unlikely be an issue with the A7R2. In fact, the A7R2 might literally be the only way to get completely accurate phase detection with glass design for DSLRs. This is because phase measurements are made on the imaging plane and are, therefore, not susceptible to all other issues of using separate AF modules. So that's just the first sentence, but it, uh, 
that's what I've been trying to say. The mm-hmm. point is, is that it's the same focus plane, right? The final image has the correct focus because it is the image. And there is a separate sensor in a 5D Mark III that is doing the autofocusing. Yeah, so to continue, with the delicate, uh, well, with the dedicated modules of DSLRs, tolerances in bodies and lens mounts, differences in effective optical path links to the AF sensor versus the image sensor, alignment issues and miscalibrations of all the optic modules for every F point, no less, can all lead to less than desirable AF experiences, especially with fast lenses where AF tolerances are tight. And this is what my problem is, I think, that it's really hard to keep all of that in alignment on an SLR and just sometimes doesn't work. Anyway, this, so I'm super excited about potentially solving this, you know, major problem and we've been getting by just fine without it. You know, I can still have a career without this particular issue being solved, but there's a million little things like this that I feel like if I can be one of the first people to solve that problem, I'll always have that little edge, you know, Mm -hmm. if I can, if you were the first person to have a good camera phone, you could be one of the first people to have a good Instagram account. Um, If you have a Wi-Fi connection on your DSLR, you can be one of the early wedding photographers to, uh, you know, post something live from an event or, or directly send a highlight photo to the couple or like, a million little or, things. Or project it at the reception. Sure, yeah. There's all these little things that if you are on top of the gear, you can do something just a little bit before other people. And that is always exciting and interesting to me. Mm. But I'm a nerd. Well, like, I'm yeah, a total gear say, geek. Yeah, that's less interesting to me. But, like, I can see why that would be interesting. I think I'm just... What about the focus just, thing? Is that interesting? Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I, I think that... Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, because I still use manual focus, I, I say still, I, because I started using manual focus, mm-hmm. uh, antiquated gear. <laughs> um, I just shot a theater performance the other night with my DF and the 70 to 200. And it was just amazing. I just can't believe how amazing the autofocus is. So like, I don't, I don't use it as much as you do in that, in that context. So I'm still just blown away by what it's capable of. You know, especially if I if I switch to I mean I have a manual focus film camera but I also use the F5 on occasion mm-hmm. which has five focus points. Right. So think about that. I'm thinking It's really yeah, it's really hard to imagine your your gear doing what it does now. Well, I got um flack on YouTube. I got um teased for doing focus and recompose in that 50 millimeter review that I did. Okay. Which, um, you know, it's not, that's not really like, that's not something you're supposed to do really. Like there are issues with, you know, let's say you only have a center focus point and mm-hmm. you, uh, get focus on it and then completely recompose the image. There's a decent chance that the distance changes enough to affect how sharp the subject is going to be. Right. Sure. Like yeah. that's not ideal. Um, but even in a 5D, which has a lot more focus points, it um, it does not have them in areas that I often put the subject. You know, like right. if I'm doing a classic kind of one third composition where the person's f- face is in the upper left or upper right hand corner, there are no focus points where their eye is. So right. I need to do that. Unless you're in live view, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, just yeah, using which is using face detection autofocus, but the focus area coverage of the new Sony is almost edge to edge. There are what? <laughs> yeah, there's 399 focus points. What? Well, I dude, look I at guess this article. I should have read the article. <laughs> I'm gonna just send it to you while we're here, and you can you can peruse at your at your leisure. I can browse it as we're yeah. talking about. You uh, you should also watch the – if you go back to the first page, the – oh, no, the second page. There's a demo of it doing some tracking on a, a bird flying in circles, and it's kind of amazing. Anyway, I, I don't want this to all be about this camera that's not out yet, and then it's going to come out and disappoint us anyway. Mm-hmm. The, the, point, <laughs> the point is supposed to be about is, – is, am I wasting my time 
doing all this reading? Should I just wait until the, I don't know. Like, what should I, what should I do? Am I wasting my time? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. No, of course not. (laughs) I mean, that's how people learn things. They read stuff. Mm -hmm. Come on. That makes total sense. I mean, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you do get a little bit nerdy, but don't we all, I mean, that's, that's, we're in that profession. You know, this is, that's what people, the people who are listening to this show are exactly like us in this room, in this well, way. If, if they've stuck around this long, they sure are. They would have to be. Right? I mean, this is, this is like, you know, this is what we do. We're nerds. Okay. And, and I know about- I should be playing devil's advocate, but I'm really not very good at it. So I'm just <laughs> going to give another reason is that if you consider photography to be an art form, let's compare it to a fine art like painting. Mm-hmm. It is a very technology driven art form. It is completely yes. dependent on advanced modern technology. You can, if you are a great painter, you can probably pick up a stick and make something nice in the sand. You know, you yeah. can, you can smear your feces on a wall and make it beautiful. You can, <laughs> you can sketch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sketch with literally sketch with scat. <laughs> but, um, if you are a photographer, we've, we've devolved. <laughs> uh, if you're a photographer, you, you, you probably can't, you can't take a photo with, uh, um, <laughs> you know, uh, stuff off the ground. You need a <laughs> camera. And if you want to compete with other modern photographers, you probably, you'll have disadvantages if you don't have a, um, a camera that, uh, meets your needs, depending on what those are. If you're an event photographer, you'd be at a disadvantage, not let's say having autofocus, you know, there's, there's all these things that you at least need a minimum technological understanding and a a bit of nerdism to perform well. And especially as, as the digital component becomes more important, it's harder to just be an artist and just have an eye because you have to really click with the technology to take full advantage of, of the form of art that you're trying to participate in. Or you can reject all of it and just go the vintage antiquated route. Well, you can, but then you need to understand your constraints, right? If you just pick up an old film camera that is manual focus, but you think that you can shoot like it's a modern digital, you're going to lose. <laughs> you're gonna you are going to lose. You're going to yeah. take all of your photos in the first one or two minutes and realize that just cost you $40. And then you got to shoot a new roll and, you know, you can't check your exposure on the back and... It can work as well as you understand the technology, right? As you are comfortable with its limitations and with the the areas that that technology excels. But you have to understand the technology, no matter if it's 1970s technology or or from the 2000s. Yeah, there's there's no question. I mean, you couldn't shoot a lot of the the scenes that that you'd shoot in in an event work and or wedding Mm -hmm. and theater Anything that it involves like action and low light, give me a break. I mean, there's no way that you could do that with film gear and compete with somebody that had top of the line digital. I think that that's, that's almost a ridiculous argument. I think that's a lot of the reason that naturalistic lighting has become very popular. Oh, we, we talked about this on the episode about the rise of high ISO, but the, mm-hmm. you know, that effect that you don't need a flash and you don't need strobes and in movies, they don't need giant 5k lights to, to, just fill a room, you mm-hmm. can use practical lighting and the real lights around you and get enough light to make it look great. And that was not possible before. So that's a right. huge area that like, if you weren't up on the technology, you're falling behind on that and you can't take advantage of it. <laughs> that's really great. So now when people say, you know, Cameron, do you recommend shooting film? And it's like, well, do you like being outside? <laughs> yeah. In the middle of the day with yeah, your flash. Like all the time? Yeah. Because that's what you're going to do. I watched Birdman uh, yesterday. Have you seen it? Yeah, I loved it. Cinematography, hey, right? Yeah, really cool. And yeah. all practical lighting. There was, uh, I was reading an interview with a cinematographer and there's very little artificial lighting. In one or two scenes, they'd have a big light outside to make it look like it was daylight outside, but it wasn't. But the, okay. the stuff lighting the, the actors was entirely real. Like the lights you saw in the room, that's what was lighting them. And... It's because an Alexa can shoot it. I think they were at 1200, which isn't even that high, but there's just a ton of dynamic range. You can correct the images a lot in post um, and you can shoot it at a pretty high ISO like that. So And long scenes in that one too. Oh, huh? Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's really, you would have to have that kind of a lighting scenario. So that movie really probably wouldn't have been possible to create. Oh yeah. Walking through theaters like they did. I mean, yeah. Walking through a theater for that long, you know, we saw it in Scorsese back in film days a bit, but it was a really big deal. Like that Goodfellas scene that really stood out at the time because that never happened because it was really hard. Yeah. You think about what they did and that's like... The innovators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the but they, who- <laughs> there you go. It's like, the, you know, technology at the time that that Goodfellas shot happened, steady cams were still pretty new. And it was the technology of that shot that made it interesting and exciting. Do you know the shot I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, go back and watch Goodfellas. There's a really great long steady cam shot that's one of the first um, kind of memorable ones. You're going to have to give me a list next time. You'll be like, okay, so make sure that you read the article on the, on the seminar <laughs> too. And, and make sure you watch Goodfellas because I'm bringing up something. No, I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> I, you know, it wouldn't matter because I, I never remember movies. You wouldn't anyway. do it anyway. Well, I, well, I would. I might actually. If I had time, I might. But I, I, I wouldn't remember it past like three days. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm one of those people. Like I, I love movies, but I don't remember them. I just started a movies to watch list as I was driving to the studio. Like just before, just before I drove to the studio, I was sitting in my car and trying to remember what are all those things I wanted to see? And I started writing stuff down. Do you have any recommendations? Uh, Ex Machina. Oh, yeah. That is that in my mental list. I'm going to write it. I watched it last night. And, and great. I'm, uh, yeah. Actually, I'm don't still, tell me anything. <laughs> I'll, the only, I'll tell you one thing, and it has nothing to do with the, the it'll give away nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just, I've been in an altered state all day. Mm-hmm. I've not been able to like consider life normally. <laughs> hmm. That kind of movie. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, like uh, I was, I watched it with a friend and he was telling me that, you know, he'd heard it was very Kubrick like, and just in the, the way that it makes you feel and the, and the way that the, I don't know, I guess just the way it is. And I'd recognized that. I was like, yeah, I haven't actually watched a Kubrick movie in a while, but this has that feeling to it. You know, there's this kind of like doom or dread <laughs> that's going on in mm-hmm. it, but so beautiful and captivating. <laughs> who's that? Who's the director of it again? It's somebody that I love. Everything else he does, it is Alex Garland. Oh yeah, okay. So yeah, Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine. Oh, is he the writer for those? Not the director. I'm gonna cut this out. Anyway, do you know anything about leaf shutters? I know that they're pretty awesome to use with strobes. <laughs> do you know why they're not on more cameras? No, I don't know why they're not. I know that like whenever I realize that, that something I'm using has a leaf shutter, I, I get kind of happy about it. I think you can also shoot at uh, lower speeds, right? A slower speed because of the way the shutter opens. It doesn't have as much you know, vibration or whatever. I don't get it. I've also heard that you can shoot at slower shutter speeds and it's less vibrating. But the reason I've been thinking about it is for shooting outside with strobes. Are there any like affordable cameras that have it i mean i know like phase ones do that um if you if you shoot film yeah <laughs> no no well, i don't think so i mean i don't think that, that there are any like dslr type cameras that use a leaf shutter do you ever light outside do you ever do strobes outside rarely i have but it's rare because i want to do it more i see people do it in really beautiful interesting ways did not you just use high speed sync in what way you mean like with a a um what are you talking about? I mean, what's, what's, what are you trying to, why can't you do it? You know, like, why do you feel like you need a leaf well, shutter? Because on it? my alien bees, yeah, they only, they will sync at 160 as the fastest. Okay. Um, so that's what you need. You need high, high speed sync. But, right? And so, so this is on like the uh, Canon flashes, right? Like on my um, speed, uh, what are they called? What are, what's my flash called? Speed light. Speed light. <laughs> what did you have? Like the EX something? Yeah. 500? The, the 600. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, tell I mean, me how much even, flash works. <laughs> even to even to get the high speed sync from that, you need to use a trigger that does some special magic. You know, I mean, that was what the um, what are those Flex TT five triggers from Pocket Wizard? Mm. That's what that's those. You know, you can shoot at maximum shutter speeds with with those. So on the camera, it would work, right? Yeah, that's why. Oh yeah, okay. I'm like looking at some articles right now. This is what I wanted to do. Okay, why does this work? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why can't I don't understand strobes? It's, I'm just realizing how ignorant I am about my profession. <laughs> well, it's yeah. You know, I mean, it's something about I know I I actually cared at one point, and then you know, and I bought that whole system. 
because I was like, oh, I can't wait to use this. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. do all this stuff. And uh, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> I never used it. I mean, unless you're like, unless you have a specific reason or use for it, it doesn't make any sense well, to I, me. I do. It's basically to give me more options shooting outside. I've got to shoot outside really often, like a lot. And a lot of the time it's in the middle of the day and the lighting is terrible. Ooh. And if I can't control my light. Then you need to overpower it. Yeah. And right now what I do is I look for good light or, you know, I try to reflect when I can. I really hate when a reflector is obvious though, when it gives itself away. Oh yeah. I hate that for strobes outdoors as well. I don't want it to be visible. I want to do subtle, you know, I want to do the good lighting that I see other people do. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think the only time I, I ever forgive lighting that is that is obvious is is in a studio, and if it's you know done with great intention mm-hmm. and beauty, you know. But yeah, I agree. I think that um, when it when you see it on the street, it completely takes the natural vibe completely away from it. Well, but unless it's done well, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that I. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Like, I think that there is a way to do it, and I know that there's a way to do it, and I think that on a occasion or two. I've been successful. I've never um, been successful at it. I've done. I've done it, and I've not succeeded. I have. I've done. I've, I know that I have. I. I feel confident that I have. I don't know that that what I did would be worth showing to our audience. <laughs> so don't check the show in the, notes. In the show notes, you know, I know that like I've achieved what I wanted it to achieve, but I've, I've also like failed miserably. And I think that at the time that was intentional because, you know, I wanted it to look lit. You know, that was yeah. that was the style. It was the style um, at the time. I was I went through that, too. Yeah, when, but, when I was doing it, I was not trying to hide it. Yeah. But now, yeah, I, I totally agree that if I, if I need it to look right, you know, I want to be able to do that. But I'm not, I guess it's just for me, I'm not doing that like you're doing that. So it's, it's not, it's not my issue, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a critical thing to understand, but I think that most medium format cameras use leaf shutters. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. And, you know, frankly, Tyler, I'm just going to, you know, seeing how this was the topic, I'm going to go ahead and ruin your life and Mm -hmm. just tell you that like, you need to, you need to go to medium format. I mean, the style of stuff that you do, like, it would just be stunning, man. It would be stunning. I do have plans to borrow a... You're going um, to get the, the Pentax? The Pentax? Yes. That will happen. I just need to make some arrangements. And then we will discuss it thoroughly on this show. Mm-hmm. We will. But it's also not very much in my budget at all because it's, well, it's very expensive for one thing. Yes. Yes, that's but true. But it's also not a video camera. So right now, right. my real plan is to wait around for a 5D Mark IV. And it's important to me that that makes some big advances in video quality because I need it to be both things. Otherwise, I need to buy a new <laughs> video camera and a, a medium format camera, and that's probably not going to happen. So Yeah, I mean, especially if that, you know, if your cost of doing business doesn't dictate buying, you know, a yeah. new rig that is probably... How much? Twenty thousand? <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you, I mean, it's nice of you to say that my work would do better with a medium format camera, but a lot of it would also do worse. So much of what we're shooting is outfit photos for Anya for Anya's blog, which are outside, and she's walking a lot. Like there's a lot of movement in it, and we shoot a lot of photos for each outfit, more than a thousand. And you know that means oh, fast yeah. autofocus and fast shutters, like bang, 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 bang. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess I don't, you know, I don't completely understand what it is that you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, depends which photo you're looking at. The, I would love to just sit and slowly work with a medium format camera, but uh, it, yeah, it couldn't I think, be the I only th- thing. I think what it is is that, like, that you know, I know that what you do with Anya is is your main thing now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you know that, and it's beautiful. I I really like it, but I've always admired you for your portrait work. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I was doing earlier, right? And then you you do it you do it exceptionally. So I think that you know seeing that done on medium format, I think would be something to see. Well, so I'm just you know I'm throwing that. To, out I hope there. to show it to you, just for you. Yeah, no, I hope you do because I think it would be it'd be really great. I sent you some older strobe outside photos of mine. Not for any good reason. I don't know if I'll post them in show notes. Yeah, and I, I see what you mean. It's just it's you definitely get the feeling that it's that it's a strobe. I mean, you, you can mm-hmm. tell. Right? I'm looking at the at the shot of the guy outside. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a green screen. It does. Mm-hmm. It does look like I, green. Screen. I think I could do better now. Yeah, I'm sure. But in the other one, no, yeah, the, the other one the I couple, think is more believable. Well, I think it it also it's believable because you know you would think. Well, it's at night, so of course you'd use a, a flash, you know, but you have it off camera. Yeah, I think the trick 
now when I go back and experiment with this again, and I guess I have to put these photos in the show notes now, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> is that you put it in a realistic light source, right? You put it somewhere that there could be a light in real life. Yeah, like a street, a street light or something. Yeah. I guess it's only a photographer or a good photographer that really sees that it's not street light, right? I mean, I guess the, the average viewer would consider that to be a street light. I would hope so, but yeah, but I, think I don't know. I think people may not have, they may not be able to articulate it, but they know something's up. Yeah. Because it's the color. The temperature. Yeah. The color temperature. Right. Yeah. What are we talking about? We're talking about obsessing over gear. <laughs> what are you into lately? Like gear wise, not your thing at the end of the uh, show, but um, I... So I told you, I'm not sure I mentioned it on the show, but uh, I sold some things and, and I, uh, I I got myself the old, <laughs> the very old Nikon 85 1.4 AIS. Mm -hmm, one, right. The, the big is, one. It's, yeah, chubby. And that's what it's, it's been nicknamed chubby by a good friend of mine. And it, it is, I mean, it's, it's huge. Like when I put it on my FM3A, it swallows it. You can't even, like if I'm shooting you, if I'm taking your portrait with this, you can't even read the Nikon on it. <laughs> so that's exciting. It just I love blocks it. the logo out completely. Yeah, it's so great. It's pretty I cool. It is awesome. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm I'm learning it. I'm I'm getting into it. And the first results, you know, I was a little bit disappointed because I kept missing focus. And then the same friend of mine told me about a different focusing screen that I could use on the FM3A, and it just turns out that that uh, that I had it, and I didn't even know. You just had a focusing screen kicking around. Well, the, when I bought the the camera, it came with these two these two screens, and so it came with the K3 and the B3. And for you know whatever ignorant reason, I believed that the K3 was the one to have, so I put it in there like immediately. It it actually had the B3 in it when it was shipped to me. And I put the K3 in there, and it's one of those ones where, um, yeah, I don't even know how to explain <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that's going on in those focusing screens, but it's so much crap that it's really hard to focus, mm. you know, and it's not at all what I'm used to. And so like, uh, he recommended getting that screen, and then I was like, I wonder if that was the one, you know, and I pulled it out, and he was here, and he, and he goes like, oh, this is it. You have it. You know, I was like, okay, well, let's try it. <laughs> And so we were out shooting yesterday and my, I, of course I haven't seen the photos yet, so I don't know, right. If I'm, if I'm really on with that, but the difference in using it was, I was so jazzed, hmm. you know, like I was just, you know, because I was feeling a bit, I guess that, you know, you don't, you buy, get, you know, that regret you get <laughs> when you spend some money. And I didn't even spend that much money, but I was still feeling that buyer's remorse. You know, I was thinking like, I don't know why I bought this. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I need this. Am I a sucker? Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's manual focus only. So, I mean, it's, you know, I'm only going to be able to use it for, for passion projects. I'm never going to be able to use this professionally unless it's in the studio. But outside of that, like I would never be able to use it on the street or for anything else that's professional use. And so I was feeling kind of like maybe I stepped too far. And I think that's kind of what this show is about or this episode is about. But after yesterday, man, I, my, it changed my tune big time. I felt, I felt very confident and I felt like I could just see perfectly. The screen was super bright. I like the idea of changing focusing screens. I've never done it on any camera I own, but I like the idea of that being an option. I've heard about it, you know, and I never, never tried it. And it's just, it's weird, right? After all these years, it's like, there's still these little things that you can do. Yeah. I've been told to that's what I should do to the house of blood I'm borrowing to fix the fact that I can't focus things on it is to and, brighten up the focusing screen with a new one. Right. And actually the same friend, I don't know if he listens to the show. Um, we'll tell him he should. Yeah. Well, I do. I'm not sure <laughs> that he actually does, but if he does, then uh -huh. yeah, I'm talking about you, man. But he, he also has a Rolly and he's got one of those Maxwell's focusing screens in there. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> I just know that like I looked through it and I was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> And he laughed, you know, he's like, yeah, right. Cause you know, I'm used to my Yashica mat, which I love, but you know, I'm used to that. And so, you know, I grab his, his Rolly and I look through there and it's just, it, I just can't, can't even explain it. It's just like the difference between an old tube screen and, and an, you know, a modern HD television. Right. You know, it's, it's yeah. just it, like, yeah, it's going in what? HD. It's putting glasses on. Exactly. I'm guessing. It's, I don't it's know like, wearing, yeah, no, that's, that's what it's like. And it's brighter and tighter. I mean, everything. It's just sharp and clean. And all right, what's yeah. the what's the thing you've bought that you were super excited about and then regretted the most? Mm, I have to, and I feel I feel like at odds about this because I think I go back and forth on it. But I, I think I have to say the um, my eighty five millimeter tilt shift lens. Oh yeah, okay. 
Cause it's so expensive, you know I mean? I How think expensive it was, is it? Well, brand new, I think I paid fifteen ninety nine. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, because you know it, it's it's really a limited use. I think that you know I know if, I know some people that use tilt shifts to the absolute awesomest effect. Yeah, awesomest. <laughs> and you know I'm I'm always like super impressed by by what they're capable of doing with them. And they're always a 45 or a 24, and <laughs> almost never an 85. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should maybe never talk off air because I can never remember what we talked about on and off air. Did we talk about this on the show? <laughs> Okay. I don't know. Where we may be, okay, we may be covering ground again and probably not. But the one that I have that I had put up for sale and changed my mind about was the Canon 90 millimeter tilt shift. Almost exactly the same position. I've put it up for sale. I'm, I've been kind of glad that it didn't sell because then I've used it since then. But it doesn't, yeah. I mean, I would trade it for the 45 at this point. Like it makes more sense more often. Yeah, um, I would do that too. I think it would be great just to have a buddy. <laughs> that you could be like, okay, let's trade for a while. Yeah. Hopefully and it doesn't back. listen to the show and hear that we both regret our 80 and 90 millimeter tilt shifts. Well, and let me, you know, explain is that like, I think that just in terms of practicality, the 85 or 90 is, is just, you know, it's such a special use lens. It's fantastic for shooting in the, in the city. If you're, when you're downtown and you want to, especially for stock, I mean, it's, it's amazing because you can, um, you can completely, you know, distort all of the brands and labels that you need to avoid anyway. And you can leave all the color in there, but you can lose all of the information using that lens and still have like a, a really dynamic shot of your subject. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I think that that can be a really powerful thing. And it, it's also, it's, it can be incredibly creative, but it, I feel like that lens is, it's only used really to me is to make things that look neat and weird. Well, I had switched between the, I'd actually bought the 24 Canon. Mm-hmm which is more expensive. So part of the reason that I, I returned that and went for the 90 was, uh, yes, it was a lot more. So I was kind of unsure about how much money I'd spent on the tilt shift, but I also wanted a stronger tilt effect. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, I want to crank this up. I want the blur to the max. And you know what? The 90 goes really far. When you're fully tilted at 2.8, Mm-hmm. It's extremely blurry. You mm-hmm. can't, there's nothing left. I thought it's what I wanted at the time. And now like, I, I never need that. <laughs> I would be very comfortable with the blur provided by the do 45 ever, or 24. Do you ever tilt halfway? Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and how do you feel about the result? Oh, good. I do. I yeah. like it. It's a very nice lens. It's just not that often that I need it. So the results from the lens are always just aside from the weird factor. You know, the, the sharpness and the contrast and everything is always stunning. Oh, so yeah. there's yeah. that. Sure. Mine is, uh, is video gear, my regret. Mm-hmm. And it's that I spent quite a lot of money on a full Zacuto shoulder mount rig. So Zacuto is like the nice brand. They, I love their stuff. It's really great. But I was buying it at a time that all of this stuff was just coming out. It was kind of the first version of so much of this DSLR mount uh, cinema rig systems. And now they are so widely available and I spent so many thousands of dollars on this. You know, if I just waited a while, I could have bought the same thing for a thousand bucks. And I don't end up shooting shoulder mounted that often. So what's been really useful is all of the tripod mount stuff. So the, mm. just having the rails, which the way that it works with videos, you you buy a plate, which is what your camera sits on, and then mm. you run a, a set of two parallel rails out of the front that you can then mount a bunch of other things onto those rails, like a focusing system or a map box or arms that will stick out and hold on to your monitor. And it's all based on this plate with rails sticking out. And um, that's what the center of the kit has been the most useful thing to me, which I could have bought for so much less money, but I thought (laughs) I was going to be mounting it on my shoulder all the time. And that just didn't happen. So now I have a really nice shoulder mount kit that sees pretty <laughs> yeah. minimal use. I think I have a few bags like that too, but they don't, they don't okay. cost nearly the same. Don't let me start how many bags I've bought, but <laughs> but the bags it's always the search for the perfect bag, you know. Uh, yeah, I, it's, you're it's never endless. quite happy with what you have, and you need a new one. So well, and and the other thing that really sucks about that is I feel like I can never get rid of them either. Like nobody <laughs> ever wants them. Yeah, because they are already lusting after some other new bag. Well, also I think that there's just kind of an unspoken. Idea idea about bags being like used underwear or something, you know, because <laughs> you know, no, yeah, like nobody's going to use your bag that you used unless it's, you know, like a, an Ona or something leather that's really sexy. But, you know, I think that it just doesn't happen. Plus, you know, like I have those, I had a couple of those slingshot style bags, mm-hmm. you know, that 
thinking that like this could be great. You know, I'm going to just be able to access things I've immediately. I've only regretted things like that. Stupid. Mm-hmm. The worst things ever. What's hate those things. your pick this week? So I'm just going to stick with music because I think we talk about all of the, the, the really cool <laughs> camera stuff during the, through the year. Okay. Yeah. One of the other records that I've been enjoying for the past couple of weeks and God, if I, if I'm repeating myself, then, then you'll, you can smack me. So well, hopefully uh, I'll remember and notice. Yeah. I don't think I talked about it, but, um, it's a record called mutilated or mutilator defeated at last no. by the OCs. I've never heard of this. This band has been around for a while. I'm not sure exactly how long, but they've been around for a while. And, and I've, it's one of those bands that you always see or that I've always seen get reviewed and be reviewed positively. But for whatever reason, I was never, you know, game. I never jumped on and uh, I completely ignored them. And then the most recent one came out and it got a decent review again. And I was just like, and this is and- the OCs for anyone wondering, that's T-H-E-E. O-H-S-E-E-S. Yeah, very important to spell that out because otherwise it would be like, what? So, you know, they've always had great cover art, you know, which I I realized after I'd gotten super into this record because this is my introduction to them. I'm really into the really early old Pink Floyd, specifically Piper at the Gates of Dawn and also Echoes. I actually get it's metal is the record. But if you like that kind of trippy psychedelic rock, it's it's definitely it's got its own flavor. But I think that it's an interesting thing about art is that Pink Floyd ha- that had this moment where when they made metal, you know, it was like this. It was a masterpiece in my opinion. Right. But they, they didn't stick to that sound and that formula like they, they moved on from that very quickly because they went from metal to uh, Dark Side of the Moon and those records couldn't be any more different. And I think that what happened is they discovered a thing, a sound, a feeling and then abandoned it. So it's just sitting out there for other people to take and not get called a ripoff artist. And so I can think of a couple bands that have successfully employed some of the um, the sounds and feelings from that that record into new material that just sounds so fresh, sounds so good, and this is one of those records where I can just listen to this record and just feel sublime. I'm listening to this in the background as you're talking instead of listening to you, and I think of I think of No Age a little bit, um, a little bit, yeah, and um, I don't know, like Desert Rock. I should just put it into the episode. Listen to, uh, use uh, Sticky Hulks. I'm listening to the full album in a YouTube video, so I'll, I'll have to follow up on that after. Anyway, this uh, does kind of sound up my alley. Yeah, it's super cool. If you like either of those bands I mentioned, you might like this. Or the ones that I mentioned. Yeah, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to your music. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all good. I, uh, I'm going to make some audio recommendations, which is kind of like music. I've been um, buying some audio gear for podcasting, and I realized that is not what our show is about but I originally, I got into audio gear because, well, I don't know. Actually, I was going to say because I used to try to play music, but I might yeah. have tried to play music because I was interested in audio gear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I bought a guitar so that I could have something to record, <laughs> um, which is probably explains why I don't play it very well. <laughs> but the, the gear I've been buying lately has uh, been a mix for podcasting and then also for making videos. Unfortunately, the G7X does not have external audio, so I have to sync it, which is kind of annoying. And the way that I've been recording external audio is sticking my boom mic up above whoever's talking and sending that into a external recorder, which right now is an H4N. And I would really like to replace that for an H6 by Zoom, which it's really awesome. Have you played around with any of these external recorders? Not not firsthand, but I know what they are and I've seen them and I've, I have friends that use them. It's so. amazing the quality you get out of these things. Like thinking back in high school when I had a Tascam 4-track recording to yeah. You know, a, a tape, a cassette tape. Yes. Oh man. It's so, it's amazing what you can do with this stuff. But for the podcast specifically, I got a preamp slash compressor slash, uh, what else does it do? Noise gate slash deesser. I'm just wow. trying to look. There's something I'm missing here. What does this knob do? Okay. That's basically all of it. But uh, so the, the mic that I use is a Heil PR40 and it's really gain hungry. So before I couldn't actually get enough gain to, to turn it up loud enough. So this is really meant for a, a single track like vocals and to really optimize like that one vocal track. 
So the way that it works is I can crank up this really clean preamp inside of it so that I'm not relying on my in and out box so much. And then inside of the line has a compressor. So that normalizes my voice a little bit. Let me just try playing with some knobs. Uh, here's turning up the uh, ratio and here's turning up the threshold. And uh, that's what a super compressed vocal track sounds like. Yeah, um, I can actually hear that. Can you hear it go? It also Where, has... It, vocal in it has enhancers in it so that is the thing i was forgetting which basically it kind of scoops the bass and the treble so right they are now completely off i don't know if yeah. you noticed a difference this is very there's there's a lot less boom yeah so i i think maybe i have been turning this up too much am i too boomy i probably am i'm gonna turn it down next episode i wouldn't actually say that you were too boomy i think that it's just listening to the i actually i mean i, I guess it's the idea of listening to a a recorded or a radio voice. Yeah. You, know, you, you want it well, to be warm and inviting. Yeah. And, warm, but not, I don't want to, I don't want us to sound too different. You know, I don't want right. to have like, I don't want your audio to sound bad next to mine. Right. And you're not running through a preamp and you're over Skype. So it's already harder to keep your audio similar. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway. So if I like kind of crank it, here's just the bass getting enhanced. Oh, wow. <laughs> how, how does that sound? Am I a radio now? And yeah. Now, now it's, now it's, it's weird. I'm going to bring the, uh, uh, the, you just went into you just went into rock radio, the treble talk radio, and uh, yeah. So this is like fully scooped. Oh wow, yeah, that's nasty too. Yeah, okay. So that's that's too much. Let's bring it back. This is what I was at during the episode. And then the other thing it does is a noise gate. Trains go by often, and if you listen now, you should hear the compressor is bringing up the levels of the room noise. Yes, I can hear. It. And um, basically, it just cut, kills all that. Wow. So that, yeah, uh, that's nice. Yeah, nothing comes through in, unless I'm talking. Wow, that's good. Good recommendation. Yeah, it's that's so really I don't know if I said what it is, but it's the DBX two eighty six S. It's great for any of your audio needs. I was using it to make videos the other day. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice device, but it's kind of big. It's not like a little pocket sized thing. This is like this is a rack mount. It kind of sits beside my desk. What's the price? Uh, two. It was about two fifty. I think online you can find it for even a little less, just over two hundred. Yeah, I think if you're doing anything that requires such a thing, this is a no brainer. Oh yeah, it's so good. You need one. <laughs> I, yeah, I, clearly. I mean, listening to like, I, you know, nobody else knows this, but but we do. But like, I was remarking to Tyler before we started recording, like how much better his voice sounds just in general. So I think that it's it seems like a, it's a it's somewhat of a necessity. Oh, and I got one more thing. This is actually the recent thing I bought because I, I got that preamp like two episodes ago. I bought the same headphones as you. Accidentally, yeah. I, I hadn't noticed when I was buying them, and then I I watched a video of you and realized you are wearing these every week. Yeah. And that's all the time. Sony MDR seven five zero six professional. And I have been hearing about these forever. I've seen them around. I've tried on other people's they're, they're everywhere and mm. they look like crap. Um, <laughs> they look, I mean, not, not, uh, not that they're ugly so much as they look cheap. They do not look like professional headphones to me and they feel right. very light. And which is ironic because you compare them to, you know, beats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Beats Which feel more professional. If you were just to pick them up, you'd be like, yeah, these are the much nicer headphones. Yeah. But uh, the audio on these is wonderful. Like they have bass presence, but it's not boomy. It's, um, it just sounds really good. And they're pretty comfortable. They weren't, I wouldn't say they were the, the best things that I tried on, but my favorites were a set of AKGs that had open backs Meaning the, the sound was going to leak out, which isn't what I wanted. I don't want it to bleed into the mic. So, right. Okay. I, I, these are the ones I've had these for 20 years and they've, <laughs> since they came out. Yeah. I literally, I yeah, bought the first them. First pair. Yeah. They were, you know, I bought them when they were new and I was, you know, I was, I was really at that time I was Sony advocate. I liked Sony products and I'm, you know, I, it, this, we're just talking about like televisions and stuff at that, at that stage. But, um, so with, when it came to headphones, I was, I trusted them and, uh, I think I, you know, I was doing a lot of four track recording at the time and wanted some really amazing headphones and I bought these and I've had them all of that time. And I can tell you that like, I've, I've bought a lot of headphones in my days. Mm -hmm. Um, these are the ones that I've kept in either a studio capacity and, or at my desk. Right. Um, but I have plenty of like sure headphones that I use for, you know, walking around and stuff like that. Are the earbuds or sure, uh, over, over ear? Uh, they're earbuds, okay. but I've, I've had four different pair and you know, I have, I don't remember which, which ones I have right now, but they're, they're pretty great actually. But 
every one of those has lasted me about, you know, two or three years. And I don't use them as much as I use these Sonys. But I guess it's maybe it's because I'm sweating in them or something. I don't know. But it's uh, the the um, the connection always goes bad on on those ones. Mm. Like, the, you know, I always end up losing one of the ears. Here, um, here's the part of the episode where I need to remind everybody that this show is called Cameras or Whatever. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I, the whatever part I of whatever. want to go down this rabbit hole of headphones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, well, so what I was replacing was actually a set of AKGs that are, they're kind of more meant for a DJ. Like they're really loud and you know, they had a pretty clean sound, but they're very loud and they weren't comfortable enough. They weren't big enough over my ears for my preference. They would, you know, I, so my ears kind of protrude from my head more than I'd like. And that means when I stick headphones on them, they compress them a lot. So I need headphones that are um, not going to press very much. And I, I think these Sony's do the trick in that. But um, do your headphones, do, do your headphones wear out? Like I've now found out this is entirely probably because of sweat, but do your ear headphones like um, degrade? You mean my, the Sony? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, so like flake. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And mine are really flaky and they leave a <laughs> little black shit all over here at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah. So like, I remember one time my mom was visiting and she's just like, ew, like what's <laughs> wrong with your ears? Yeah. She's just like, do you need to, to take a shower or something? And I was just like, oh man, like <laughs> what is this? And then I went and looked in the mirror and I was like, ew, well, isn't this <laughs> a horrible reason for your, like, I didn't want to believe that that I'm like, my ears don't sweat that much. Like I don't have sweaty ears. And then the more I look online, it's like, no, that's, that's the problem. That's why your headphones are falling apart. But does the whole world just lose a headphone every three years because of sweat? Is this yes. is this everybody's problem? Well, if they if they live where I live, they do. But I live in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that you probably have a little bit less to worry about than than I would. No, no, no. Because... no but my AKGs fell apart completely. Yeah, that's I mean, weird. They were just flake into nothing, and I also maybe have... you're like maybe you're like a weird sweater. Yeah. I don't know. I should see a doctor. Do you, do you feel sweaty? No. Well, I do now. <laughs> now I'm actually very self-conscious of that there is any sweat at all. And I'm going to be wiping these down, I think. I've got head sweat. Well, you know, when you think about it like that, it, it actually makes you think, oh, I'm never putting on somebody else's headphones. No. Which you shouldn't. No. I'm just going to say, like, head, this is the underwear thing, right? Like, headphones are underwear, basically. So I, well, I think like a... Or workout table like uh you know when you go to the gym there's like a little spray bottle and a towel and they wash mm-hmm. that towel every day and you spray down your thing when you're done sweating on it and you wipe it down i need to start wiping my headphones down Good i guess i mean I'd... what if what if whatever you're spraying on them dries them out okay. and, and i'm like... probably actually not going to spray them i'm going to just wipe them yeah it might quicken the process this is horrible I, don't, I just got these headphones, but part of what I like is also that they're not that expensive. They're a hundred and well, I paid like $140. I know online you can get them for less. That sounds about what I paid for them oh, okay. 20 years ago. So I guess it's, I guess they're more expensive now, huh? Well, online, I think, less I think you can find deals, but, uh, but anyway, that's not very expensive compared yeah. to uh, the, like the AKGs I liked, they were 250 which I think is a fair price to pay if you're doing a lot of audio stuff. Well, how much are those? Are those crappy Beats? Like three fifty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, there you go. Yeah, and if you are out there and you bought Beats headphones, I'm sorry, but they are not that good. <laughs> yeah. they, they're really basic. So actually, if you listen to a little hip, a lot of hip hop, it can um, make it feel better. You know, like it can be a good sound if you need bass for the music you listen to to be I enjoyed. Just, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to jump in. Yeah. I think that, like, with with because uh, I do, I like a lot of hip hop, honestly, and mm-hmm. and I um I feel like for bass that type of bass mm-hmm. you need you need airspace mm-hmm. and it's not headphones like i if they're too bassy like that that makes me feel i don't know because like it's boxed. not like the clean bass like it's not well what? it's not a, it's not a body bass right mm-hmm. so like that's what i really loved about you know early hip-hop when i just started driving a car and i had a subwoofer you know so that like i would feel that bass in my gut you know so when you try to like over bass headphones it's only on your head mm-hmm. and you don't feel it in your body and it's not not the same thing and and so i think that when you're compensating or overcompensating on the bass and everything else all the the other drivers suck you know i mean that doesn't sound like a like a positive experience at all to me it sounds like crap i can see what you're saying yeah because i think that like with with sub frequencies I, I like some i like some some room i like some some space between me and the speaker some air literally air between mm. me and the speaker 
Um, and with headphones, you know, like I, I can listen to rock music with headphones and enjoy it just fine. But, you know, when I listen to, uh, there's certain types of music like soul and, 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 um, and hip hop even where it's just like, I want, I want some space between it. Cause I, I think it likes to, you know, fill the room in a different way. Well, this is what I was reading about open back is that it prevents buildup in bass, which, uh, that buildup word didn't really mean something specific to me, but it sounds like what you're talking about mm. and that, uh, you would get less of that effect within uh, open back set of earphones. Yeah, but you're still not going to feel it in your belly. Well, I don't, yeah. No, I guess not. My reference song for this, uh, here, I just put it on and I'm going to like listen to it really loud in my ears, is mm-hmm. actually Limit to Your Love by James Blake, which is the cover of Feist. Yeah, I know that song. Yeah, and uh, it's so not what you would consider, think would be a bassy song, but if you turn it on, there is just the deepest, craziest rumble. Yeah, it's like, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's kind of the way to test out your car stereo to see like where so the rattle is, like it, w- what parts of your car are loose. Yeah, I, I used to like uh, to use Aphex Twin for stuff <laughs> oh, like yeah. that. That'll have the same effect. Yeah. For earbuds, though, to change the topic barely, mm-hmm. I, I actually, and um, maybe I'm the only one in the world, but I really love the Apple earbuds. And I rebuy oh, them. I replace them I, anytime I, I need new earbuds. I have to go. I'm sorry. Well, let me defend this first. <laughs> there are a few reasons. Um, they happen to fit my ears very well. They, they are quite comfortable for me. And I realize for many people, they're not. But, you know, for me, they are. They fit great. Uh, they're not very expensive, meaning I don't have to stress out about them. I have spent uh, over $100 on earbuds before, which didn't last because they were in and out of my pocket so often. They also had like the uh, removable little foam cup piece or rubber cup, and mm-hmm. that would fall off during the taking out of pocket process and I would lose them. And then I need to buy new ones and the new ones weren't as comfortable. And I just, the, because I had spent so much on them, I resented them more because I was expecting more out of them and they did have better bass response, but, but also they cut the audio out of the real world more. They were more, um, what do you call it? More noise canceling, basically, uh, acoustically mm-hmm. sealing. And mm-hmm. for me, that meant that I was less aware of what was around me. And a lot of the time, if I'm out in public and wearing earphones, I'd kind of need to know if somebody's yelling at me or a car's about to hit me. So I actually like having a bit of the outside world bleeding into my head. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And Actually, because, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So for quality, they do not sound the best, but they sound much better than the old Apple ones did. Mm-hmm. Um, they sound okay compared to other similarly priced headphones. Uh, and I'm just sort of used to them. So tell me why they suck. Well, I can't get, well, per, first of all, they sound terrible. <laughs> so I'm just going to lay that on the table. And maybe that's because I'm always using like really high quality headphones, mm-hmm. right? So I like I'm skewed. Yeah, so you can't, there's that. just in audio quality, they are nothing compared to these Sonys we're both wearing now. No. Um, but beside, beyond that, it's the comfort. Like they, in my ears, they, they feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot, I can't have them in for five minutes without like starting to feel pain. So yeah, like, uh, I mean, yeah. And I know that like for some people, like my wife uses them, like I end up every time I get a new iPhone, I end up just giving her my headphones, mm. the earbuds because I can't, I don't, I'm not going to use them. I don't like them. And it's, you know, I, I really actually, it sucks because with, I have the, the six, the iPhone six plus and, uh, I don't like using, I don't like talking on the phone at all. Actually, I mean, I, okay. In yeah, general, no, let me back up in general. I don't like using the phone. I think it's, it's a generational thing. Um, anybody that's, uh, yeah, you know, know in this, it, it's common. Yeah. It's very common. Like kids these days that are like, Oh my God, why would you do that? Um, but if you're, if I do have to actually speak on the phone, um, and I'm not going to use speakerphone, then I want to use those, those headphones that, you know, that you, because you, they have the microphone and everything. And, and I think that that is a, a really great thing about them. Yep. But I, you know, there again, I'm going to have a really short conversation. So, yeah, I don't, I, I just, I, I really don't like them. Hmm. Really don't. All right. Well, at least we disagree about something. Yeah. Bad time. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.